good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. It's good to be back with you. And joining us once again is Dr. Anthony Esselin. We talked just uh, oh, two weeks ago, uh, and I said we'd get back for a follow-up conversation. He's published recently, In the Beginning Was the Word. It's an annotated reading of the prologue of John's Gospel, and uh, it has gotten great, uh, great endorsement and reviews from many people, uh, those who are involved in pastoral work, biblical studies people, uh, just thoughtful Christians. And uh, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to kind of take this kind of close, reflective reading of the beginning of John's Gospel and uh, just enjoy it. Thanks for being with us again. Thanks, Al. Let's talk about the project, first of all. Um, what, what? I mean, this is one of those things that doesn't necessarily, people don't just sit down and write, you know, and it, well, as you call it, an annotated reading of the prologue of John, or some people would regard it as a commentary. Uh, right. Talk to me about what's behind it. Well, uh, first of all, I've all, I've long loved that that prologue. Yeah. And um, in late years, I've been wondering why. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what the reasoning was, but um, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. Pope Paul. Well, Paul simply wrote that the uh, so-called last gospel, that is the, the gospel that would be read at a high mass uh, after the dismissal, the prologue of the Gospel of John, would be suppressed. And I said, well, you know, I don't know what he was thinking, but um, it's such a powerful few verses. It is. And yeah. and all Catholics used to hear that um, at the end of every high mass and would kneel, uh, genuflect, when they heard the words, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. That's a very powerful witness. Um, it may be the greatest single paragraph, the most influential paragraph in the history of the world, yeah. you know? Um, I was and surprised. now it would only yeah. be heard by Catholics if they attended the daytime Mass on Christmas, I believe one other Sunday, but uh, mainly the daytime mass and Christmas. And I thought, well, let's let's take a nut, let's take a look at this and see what what's going on here. And um, that set me to thinking about how poetic yeah. John is. Mm-hmm. And then I began to wonder, well, what have we got here? We've got a guy, we've got a man whose native language is Aramaic. But he's composing directly into Greek, mm-hmm. which makes him unique among the gospel writers, right? He doesn't write first, as I see it, he doesn't write first in his native language and then somebody else translates it right. into Greek, or he translates it into Greek. He's composing directly into his second language, and that kind of colors the, the, the way his... Uh, sentences are in his vocabulary. So he doesn't have the um, same facility, say, as Luke. Th- that's right. That's yeah. right. But he's thinking in the Semitic language. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, as I began to think of it that way, um, th- those first verses are in in large part, right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. They, they are in the form... Uh, many of the verses are in the form of Semitic poetry. Yeah. Um, and that was the big step. That got me thinking, well, all right, well, what's behind it? Yeah. Um, 
what's and everything took off from there. These are uh, some of the most consequential uh, biblical verses uh, in all of the canon, and I I remember. A few years ago, coming across Luke Ferry's History of Philosophy, it's very it's a very short one. He's an atheist himself, but he mentions that uh, John's presentation of the Logos uh, is is foundational if we want to understand the the, uh, the, the source of the West's uh, concern for human rights and rationality. And, right. uh, and I thought, well, he may be an atheist, but at least he's getting something. <laughs> what, he's gotten such a... some part of it. Yeah. He's yeah. got, if I may say, he's gotten the Greek part of it. Yes, that's right. Yes, there. go ahead. Go ahead. Make that point. But he's not gotten, it. he's not gotten the, the, the Hebrew part of it. I'll just use Hebrew uh, just as a, you know, I've been thinking Aramaic, but we'll just use Hebrew for simplicity. Sure. He's not gotten the Hebrew part of it. Because if, if we think of, that John is thinking in, in Hebrew, then uh, in the beginning was the word. Um, he's, first of all, in the beginning, Bereshith is the same words, the same word mm-hmm. that begins Genesis, in yes. the beginning, Bereshith. Yep. Um, in the beginning, however, it's not God made the heavens and the earth, but was the word. Uh-huh. In the beginning was the davar, um, the act of speaking. Okay, and there we get something that is there in Logos, but uh, because of philosophical history, is, is a little bit blurred. Right. We get an act of utterance. We get a speaking. It's heavily verbal. That means that there are persons involved. Right. Mm-hmm. Only a person can speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the bird can make a sound. A dog can bark. But a person speaks. Person utters. And uh, in the beginning, then, was a speaking, was the speaking. And it's even more forceful if you think that what we call in, the, uh, in English the Ten Commandments, in Hebrew are the Ten Words. Right. The yeah. Ten Utterances, the Ten Speakings. So um, the whole world of the Old Testament is encapsulated in that, um, in that word, Logos there, but in the beginning was a speaking, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it, I mean, where do we go from there, right? Yeah. It's not just the, in, the, the, the logic or the order of the entire universe, but a person-to-person speaking. Yes. Um, and Christ is the Word of God. Yeah. It, you've got a, a communion, too, here uh, yeah. that's yeah. going on. As you say, there's a... There's a recipient, uh, <laughs> he, right? You know, so uh, right, and and the word was in the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is, the word was standing before the face of God. In 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 the Hebrew, um, the phrase "in the face of," um, in the countenance of, before the face of, is it's a very powerful phrase. And translators sometimes translate it away uh, as simply in front of or in the prep before, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it's more powerful than that because it has to do with the face. Interesting. So we might think in the beginning was the speaking, and the speaking was there before the face of God. Yeah. And the speaking itself was God. That's extraordinary. It is. It is. And it, there's no doubt, again, that he's. Uh, this is echoing. Uh, 
the beginning of Genesis. Um, I, I don't recall what psalm it is now, unfortunately, but it, 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 it translated kind of very abruptly as, he spoke, it was. <laughs> and right. so, you know, I love that. Uh, yeah. That's certainly the Hebraic idea of the word, yes. Right, and, and Hebrew is the most terse, the most compact language that I have any awareness of. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in it, it, and, and it makes it all the more powerful because the words are so compact, so concentrated. Um, so, for instance, uh, I often tell my students, you know, we, we got the beginning of that most beloved psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want, right? There's a lot of words there. Um, there's only four in Hebrew. <laughs> I didn't realize Adonai, that. Ro'i, yeah. the Lord, my shepherd. Adonai, ro'i, lo, esor. No, I, is a negative, not, and esor, I shall be lacking something, right? Adonai, lo, esor. Unbelievable. That is, yeah. 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 And so I was thinking, well, gosh, this is going on here in the, in the prologue. And if we sort of imagine it backwards into the into the Hebrew, uh, boy, then all kinds of associations come into play. Yeah, and with the Old Testament, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he he evokes uh, creation and the creation story right at the beginning. Here, in the beginning uh, was the word. Right. Uh, the word is with God. The word was God. What what do you uh, – a lot of times in doing theology, people are, want to understand what's the relationship between um, uh, the Word and God. And so how, how – how, uh, are they uh, – does the Word merely portray – have a divine quality to it, or is the Word to be – uh, identified with God? Um, the Word does not have a... Uh, it's not merely an adjective, so to speak. Yeah. It's not saying, well, there's you know, something divine about this Word. Right. Um, the Word is before the face of God. We think of a personal encounter. And the Word also is God. Yes. Um, it's, 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 it's implicit. Uh, or explicit, in all those passages later on in John, when Jesus says, the Father and I are one, right? Right. Now, again, that's a, there, there's, a, there's a key word in there. Uh, we may guess which one it is, but it's hard to translate into, into English without people getting the wrong idea. And it's the word one, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's the powerful word. Uh, the uh, Father and I, right? Uh, the Father, the Av, right? Av and I, pronoun. And you wouldn't even have a verb there. You would you have just Father, I, and then Echad, one. Mm. Okay. And one is the word that rings through um, the great Hebrew prayers, right? The, what is the greatest prayer of all? Yeah, the Shema. Uh, the greatest prayer of all is, um, says the uh, uh, scribe to Jesus, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord thy God, is one. Right. Adonai, 
Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, one, right? And when you then say, okay, Father and I, one, mm-hmm. you just made it a, 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 an astonishing claim. Yes. Right? Tony, hold it there. I've got the music coming up. We'll take a break. We'll come back. My guest, uh, Anthony Eslin. Uh, in the beginning was the word, an annotated reading of the prologue of John. This is a wonderful uh, meditation. You'll, you will love it. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Anthony Esselin. In the beginning was the Word. It's an annotated reading of the prologue of John's Gospel. And we were, uh, last segment, we were spending time uh, in just the first uh, two verses of it. Uh, So let's continue on. Uh, You echoed the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1. Going down into the prologue, there's also a passage which uh, echoes the last uh, uh, book of the canon, and that's the book of Revelation, where in the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth not. Uh, right. A lot of times that's translated, uh, darkness has not overcome it, uh, right. which is a phrase that's uh, used in the uh, book of Revelation as well. Yeah, I um, uh, something that I noticed... Uh, of course, I, I can't say that I've proved this, but when you have to go through a text in a language that you are just learning, mm-hmm. and you go through it very slowly, uh, things jump out at you that you might otherwise pass by just from sheer speed of reading. So um, some years ago, I was, believe it or not, uh, reading the New Testament in an early modern Welsh translation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, beautiful, by the way, absolutely beautiful. Um, roughly contemporaneous with the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed that the kinds of reading that I had to do so slowly, um, it, when I was reading the book of Revelation, uh, I had to do when I was reading the book, the Gospel of John, the same kinds of habits popping up. <laughs> and I started to say, well, oh, this is very interesting. Um, can I uh, can I can I describe this? And the way I've described it in in the book is that um, it, it, that of a, a braided narrative. That is, what you get when John is at his most poetic. You you'll get uh, a, a couple of motifs, and then a new one, and then one of the you get A and B, and then C, and then A brought back, and C, and then B, I and see. then A, and then D. And be it so forth. So they all kind of overlay each other and wind around each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also uh, saw that in that way he had picked up on a habit that Jesus himself, that the Lord himself used um, when he was delivering uh, uh, parables or or. Um, sentences that he wanted the people who were hearing him to keep in their memory, right? Um, he, he too was composing uh, Jesus in kind of poetic form often. So, um, uh, judge not lest you be judged, uh, four words in Semitic, um, for with what 
measure you measure, so shall it be measured out to you. Why do you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own out of your eye? It's it's over. I mean, it goes. It's the motifs are woven back and forth, back and forth, and 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 I suppose you've picked up the habit from the beloved disciple has picked up the habit from the Lord. Yeah, and it shows up in both Revelation and in the Gospel. Why should we be surprised if it's the same person writing them? Right, right, right. Uh, Very good. Um, When in going, you've already shared with us many things that. you know, where you discovered uh, in in your reading here, and again, starting uh, thinking uh, in Hebrew or Aramaic, and then noticing that this uh, the mind of the apostle was formed uh, in Hebrew and Aramaic, but he's now exercising his ability to translate it into um, Greek. Where else does that really, you know, pop for you in the prologue, as it does in the first and second verse? Well, um, really, kind of everywhere. Here's 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 one uh, really delightful case, and then I'll give you what I think is uh, an important case that our English translators sometimes just amazingly uh, miss. Okay. I mean, in the lectionary. So the the most delightful place is when you actually think about the name of John, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so we read, and we have to translate this way. We're not, we have to at least translate it as, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, right? Mm-hmm. Um, badly translated as, there was a man sent from God. A man, a man called John was sent from God, right? Um, the key word in that is name, and then there's something delightful in the actual name itself, right? Name is a very important word right. in, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, it's what Moses asks of the Lord at the burning bush, what is your name? Um, it's uh, uh, said in Genesis that this was the time um, people first used the name of the Lord, right? Um, they knew the name of God. What, what is your name? Adam gives the animals their names, right? It, sometimes the Hebrews in their worship will not call God the Lord, but simply Hashem, the name, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, and it can be crucial in St. Paul, too, at the name of Jesus. Um, every knee shall bend, right? Right. Um, so uh, it, that we got to keep that word there in that name. Name is a crucial word because we, we who believe in his name, right? And when um, uh, we we think about that, we think, well, what was the name of Jesus? The name of Jesus is um, uh, the Lord saves, right? Who believed in his name? As there, pretty much said, Jesus is a divine being. Jesus is God. Um, but in the delightful instance, it comes across when you think about the name of John, right? So suppose I translate it this way, and as I bring out in the book, there was a man sent from God whose name was God is gracious, <laughs> right? Whose name was Yohanan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow, because then, okay, um, when is later on said that the law comes from Moses, but grace and truth from Jesus Christ. Um, Hanan. Interesting. Uh, and when that same 
God is gracious, says, and John said, this is he of whom I spoke, who, he was, who was coming after me, who is greater than I am because he was before me. Um, that's, you know, it's, the, it's uh, someone, named, someone named God is gracious is, yes. saying this. Yeah, and and that that again the th- that theme of grace runs through John, um, John's name, and right. uh, Jesus is uh, the one. Uh, in contrast to Moses, uh, gives the law. Uh, in Jesus, we have grace and truth. Right, right, um, yeah. So uh, it's. It's just immensely rich. The that that these eighteen verses, you can't say enough about them. Yeah. Um. It, uh, and I, I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface. You know, uh, to to write a couple hundred pages on eighteen verses of, of the New <laughs> Testament. Yeah. If Saint Augustine wrote like five hundred pages. Yeah. Uh, eight hundred pages on the first couple chapters of Genesis. Uh, Imagine what if Saint Augustine had gotten through all of Genesis, the the books would require an entire shelf. Um, <laughs> but that's how rich Scripture is. It is, and we don't have a, much of a tradition any longer of uh, the kind of reflection that uh, you're showing here. Uh, in in the beginning was the word. Um, I mean, Christians do it, of course. Evangelicals dwell on the text uh, quite a bit. But um, it seems to me that this is one of those areas uh, that we could— this is an exercise that we can benefit from, uh, and it it need not be limited uh, to scholars. I mean, this can be—we talk about Lexio Divina, for instance. Um, Right. But that's a tradition that I think— needs to be uh, reinvigorated and strengthened. Of course, that's what you do in this book, and so this is a contribution to that. Yeah, uh, the the thing about my book that the ordinary person couldn't do, and I wouldn't expect it, would be, you know, to... to, uh, to read in the Greek and uh, to think about uh, underlying Aramaic or Hebrew... But one thing that everybody can do, um, if they are given good translations, and that's a big if, but everybody can say, you know what, um, why does John emphasize the name here? Um, what's up with that? Everybody can start thinking that way. Or everybody can think, um, who were saved, not by, and here we need a good translation, not a, a, an accurate translation, not by blood, nor the will of the flesh, right. nor the will of right. a man, but by God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need that blood there, not not by natural generation, right. one translation. Right. It, it means nothing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not by blood. And an ordinary person can think, well, what does that mean? Right. We are saved by the blood of Christ, so what could he be meaning there? Yes. You know, yes. Well, the last thing that we need to, to uh, assume, we should never assume, that these authors didn't know precisely what they were doing. Okay? Right. Um, they did not think the way we think. Oh, let's just dash off a couple of words and send it in as a newspaper article. They, they sweated 
over every word. Right. Um, right. They thought as poets think. Yeah. Um, and uh, John used the word blood there. He's a very important word. And anybody, any Christian can then say, okay, um, how, how does this work? Because we're not saved by blood. What blood is he talking about? Right? Um, is it the blood of the old sacrifices? Hmm. Uh, is that it? Um, the blood that runs through our own veins? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's what every, everybody uh, can begin to do. And so in my book, I'm also, I hope, teaching people how you would go about such a thing. I'm thinking back to your use of or focus on the the name. Is that is that is John setting that up for the later I am statements of Jesus? Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, um, so that uh, you know, Jews consider that the word name to be a holy name. Right. Right. Uh, and uh, Saint Paul thinks so also. Right. And his name. Uh, shall be, God is with us. Well, they didn't name him Immanuel. They named him Yeshua, yeah. right? Yeah. But the essence of that name, God is with us, is is there in the person of Jesus in a most surprising way. Um, you could have said Immanuel to someone in the Old Testament. All it meant was that God was favoring you, that God would strengthen your arm, yes. that, that God would be at your side, um, but this Emmanuel means, in fact, he's here. He's here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's broken through. I mean, he's with us. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. And there's no doubt that John understood all of that. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think the it, you mentioned something that's vitally important, and that is to remember that all these gospel writers were themselves, um, they were conscious that they were writing for a people and they weren't just dashing it off. There's thought uh, over and over and over again here. Even in the Gospel of Mark which moves along so quickly, even that has a literary form to it. uh, We're out of time, uh, Tony, unfortunately, but thank you so much for being with me and we'll talk again. Thanks, Al. 